This is Sam Sports Podcast. Sam Sports Podcast coming to you live from Sam's bedroom in Austin, Texas. Yeah, that's right. I'm back. I'm talking some sports. It's been too long. I actually went away from the microphone for two full days and I felt like I was getting an itch. I was like, damn, I've got to get on the got to get on the mic and just talk about sports. So I want to go right into uh, something that happened recently. I'm going to be talking about some NFL drama, going to be talking about some NBA drama. I'm going to do both today in the same podcast. Just mix it up like it's a stew, baby. So uh, the first thing I want to jump into is Manu Ginobili's injury. Uh, I believe it was two nights ago when the Spurs were uh, playing the New Orleans Pelicans, that Ryan Anderson, okay, plays for the Pelicans. He's posting up on Ginobili. He's, he, you know, he's down low. He's in the paint. He's backing down, he's backing down on him. And he, he pivots around. And pretty much when you watch the highlight, it's, you know, it's a little tricky to catch the exact moment. But essentially, he pivots around, and Ryan Anderson's knee hits Ginobili right in the groin. And now I say this because I'm going to start out the discussion about Ginobili getting hit in the groin, having a groin injury, and the the reality of that and also the, the comedy of that and the, the truth and severity of it as well. So Ryan Anderson does a pivot, catches Ginobili in the nuts. You see, now that I've said groin, I'm going to exploit the other vocabulary that's out here. He, he had a testicular injury. That means he got hit in the nuts. That means his balls were hit and hit hard and it hurt. Okay, so Ryan Anderson pivots. Hits Ginobili in the balls. Ginobili goes down. He's clearly in pain. Um, when you're hitting the balls, it's painful. I think about half the population knows what I'm talking about. The other half the population has a pretty good idea what I'm talking about. So Ginobili goes down in pain. His teammates, the trainers come out to him. Tim Duncan, who's on the bench in a suit at this moment, comes out. You know, they, they try to help him off the court. It's very clear at that point that it's, it's a little bit more serious than they think because he gets up and then he goes back down because clearly the pain is really, really bad. Um, however, the, the interesting thing that I want to highlight, which is something that the Spurs players reacted with, and which is in an odd way a kind of a strange human reaction that comes with getting hit in the balls. It's funny. Getting hit in the balls is funny. I'm, I'm sorry. It's like dick and fart jokes are funny. You know, getting hit in the balls is funny. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you've seen that Simpsons episode where, like, the there's a short movie of George C. Scott getting hit in the balls with a football, and he goes, ah, my groin, and that ends up winning Best Picture that year. Well, it's the same principle here, because initially the Spurs players were kind of laughing about it. They were like, oh, shit, man, that sucks. He got hit in the balls. Like, ooh, oh, dude, that's got to stink, man. Man who got hit in the nuts, man. It's like, yo, you, you get the eternal response from everybody oh just walk it off walk it off walk it off no you're good just just sorry man just ooh, walk it off walk it off so turns out as funny as this appeared to almost everybody and and it becomes even funnier the more i hear reporters talk about it so when i see reporters say um well uh well he uh he kind of had a groin injury because now Reports are coming out that he had to have surgery on his testicles. He had to have testicular surgery. Now, before I knew about the fact that he got injured in the fourth quarter of that game, 
I thought that maybe he had testicular cancer and that he was needed to go in and have to have surgery on one of his testicles. Only it turns out that's not the case at all. He was hurt in this game. He hurt his balls, and he has to have surgery on his balls. And he's going to be out for at least a month, probably six weeks, as he gets used to, you know, his balls healing. And let me tell you something. Balls are very sensitive. They take quite some time to heal, not something to be joked around with. But we're human, and our natural reaction is to be like, he got hit in the balls. Yeah. So he did. Yeah, he got hit in the balls. And it's uh, it's it's sad now. Now that when you sit back and you go, whoa, he's got to have surgery? How how much? How hard do you have to get hit to have surgery? Like, what happened? Did did the Vaz Deverins get like displaced? Did, did you know? Did did the testicles get overlapped? Is it like a something about Mary moment? It's like, how'd you get the beans above the Franks? It's like you know what happened here. I, maybe I don't want to necessarily go into the specific technical anatomy of the injury, um, but I had to highlight. I'm reporting on the news in the sense of saying Ginobili got injured. He hurt his nuts. He's having surgery. He's going to be out six weeks. But as opposed to us talking about it with a uh, torn ligaments and an ankle or an Achilles injury or a knee injury or, or an orbital bone crack in your face, this is the guy's nuts. He's hurt. It's It stinks because, you know, now the Spurs are going to be without Ginobili. However, at the same time, they've really been focusing a lot more on Aldridge and, and Kawhi Leonard. But it doesn't diminish Ginobili's contribution to the team and what he brings to the team. The Spurs are still going to be missing him uh, as he's gone over the next six weeks. And there is a little positivity with the All-Star break coming up. The All-Star break is going to be coming up in about a week and a half, two weeks. That's a nice chunk of time for Ginobili to continue resting. It's kind of a decent timing of the season for them to be missing a guy like Ginobili. So this is not a good thing, but in all circumstances considered for where the Spurs are during the course of the season, this is probably the best time it could have happened. So Spurs are going to have to move on um, without Ginobili for at least a month. Real shame. The guy got hit in the nuts way too hard. Um, Now I want to go to some drama in the NFL. So I talked a little bit about the Spurs and the I don't want to call it the hilarity, but the the understated hilarity of, of, of how bad you can get hit in the nuts and how that's a very serious thing. I'm going to go to the drama of the NFL for a second, talk a little bit about Johnny Manziel. Can you believe Johnny Manziel? Why is it that there are reports coming out about this guy every time I turn my head around? Dude, you've been given the keys to the car. I say that a lot. You've been given a franchise, an NFL franchise. You could, this is... You know, you've worked your whole life towards it. You've studied football to get there. You must love the game. You must enjoy playing it. You must have some dream of winning a Super Bowl and getting to the mountaintop. But yet every step of the way for Johnny Manziel, this guy just oozes arrogance, bravadery, blase. Like I can you I can I, I will go find the Webster's dictionary and I will find more examples and more little words, obscure. English words that can describe what the hell this guy has been doing. And, you know, every opportunity he gets, he squanders it. You know, he's, he was, he was, he was named the starter last year and he goes into the game against the Cincinnati Bengals at the end of the season. He gets obliterated, like downright embarrassed. Like it's, there's a fine line between a bad quarterback who can't perform well in a football game and a quarterback that is completely not ready for prime time. A guy who goes in and every step of the process, you're sitting here going, he's in over his head. He can't complete a single pass. You know, I've seen games where the third string quarterback will come in and they're truly doing their best. They truly are. But 
it's at that moment that you're able to see that that quarterback will never be at a level, at a skill level or a preparation level that they can compete at the speed and, 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 and level of the NFL game. There are some times when a third-string quarterback comes in, it's just like, dude, you're never going to be able to do this. I, it's terrible to say, but it's true. We're watching you play. We watched you start two straight games. The team has no chance. You just you need to go back to the drawing board and study for several months before you can even start playing at this speed. Then you see other guys who come in and, and perform well. Like Matt Ryan showed up his rookie year and started playing well. Uh, Joe Flacco showed up his rookie year and started playing well. They've had ups and downs in their careers, but they've been able to perform on a consistent level and maintain the, as I like to say, keys to the car of their team. Now, guys like Mark Sanchez and, you know, Case Keenum and TJ Yates, you know, these guys, I think, have NFL caliber skills. These guys, clearly, there are guys like Charlie Whitehurst who get jobs as career backups because they know that, listen, if I don't want you as my starter, but if I got to put you in, I know that you're going to be able to make a play. I know that you're going to be able to not throw an interception every other second. I, I have confidence that you can manage the game. And then there are some guys who get the shot, and it's very clear that they can't do that. You look at Brandon Whedon when he was named the starter of Cleveland when he was drafted. He just, you know, they gave him the shot, and he couldn't do it. Jamarcus Russell getting the job in Oakland, they gave him a shot. He couldn't do it, and he's out of the league, and that's why. Johnny Manziel is the same situation right now. He should be out of the league. I mean, it just did not work. He was so ill-prepared at the end of the season last year for the Bengals game. And then this year, you know, He's going to rehab. He's out of rehab. He's on his bye week. He gets caught in a, you know, Instagram where he's in like a DJ booth and he's sipping champagne with some guy in a club in Austin on his bye week. What the hell are you doing? What are you doing? Who in his life is grabbing him and saying, what the hell are you doing? He So much so that he got the job in Cleveland this year. Mike Pettin actually gave him a shot. And then they took it away when they caught him drinking in the club on bye week, and they said, you're clearly not ready to do this. They give the job back to Josh McCown. Josh McCown, I mean, my God, this guy can't get a break. He gets injured again, and then they have to give the job back to Johnny Manziel because they don't have another option. Not only do they have to give the job back to Johnny Manziel, in the middle of the season, after we're sort of caught up in all of this drama about domestic violence, and Adrian Peterson beating his kid, and Ray Rice beating his wife, and, and uh, Greg Hardy beating the shit out of his girlfriend. And now we get into a situation where Johnny Manziel is, he wasn't arrested, there weren't charges filed, but there was suspicion that he was beating up his girlfriend, that he was in a car with her on the highway, and supposedly someone saw the door open while they were driving on the highway. When was the last time anybody listening to this podcast, anyone in the world, if you guys listen to this podcast, when was the last time you were on the highway and you, you opened the door for something. Has that ever happened? You know how fast you got to be going on the highway? And A, to even open your window up. So someone witnesses these people driving on the highway. He's going off of an off-ramp. So maybe he's slowed down to 40 miles an hour. But apparently the door opens as if... I don't think he was trying to throw his girlfriend out of the car. But apparently she was trying to get out of the car. So all of these sort of domestic violence kind of you know, unsubstantiated gossip, which nobody proved, was clearly all over the press at that time during the season. The NFL chose not to highlight it. The broadcasters chose not to discuss it. They just, you know, they decided to kind of move on from it. 
which is embarrassing and hypocritical if you ask me about the NFL, and also kind of puts you in a situation where, like, what the hell does this guy have to do? Like, what the hell does he really have to do to get into a situation where they can say, listen, we're through with your shit? Well, now, okay, it's just come out. It's come out everywhere. So Hugh Jackson's been hired as the new coach of the Browns. It's become very apparent. Uh, he hasn't been quoted as saying it, but all these reports are coming out that as soon as humanly possible, Cleveland is going to cut Johnny Manziel, get him the hell out of here. Now there's these reports coming out that say uh, his parents tried to check him into a rehab facility recently, and he said, no, I don't want to do it. Um, apparently he was in an incident where he was beating up on his girlfriend and he hit her a few times or no, his ex-girlfriend. So he's not, he's, this is his ex-girlfriend, but they're still hanging out. You know where that is. You know, you're not dating anymore, but you still know each other. You're still friends. And apparently he's, he's still beating her up. So there's still issues with him. And now I'm seeing here that his agent just cut ties with him. So his agent is like, you know what? I don't want to have anything to do with you. Quote, this is, this is what his agent said. Quote, um, it has become painfully obvious, unquote, that Manziel's future, requote, rests solely in his hands. The agent, the blood-sucking agent who's here to get money out of you is like, you know what? I'm done with this. I, I, I'm, I, I don't even, I'm getting off of the Manziel merry-go-round. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so Johnny Manziel can't, he, he, he can't stop himself from creating reasons for the NFL to just tell him to get lost. And now there's all these friggin' reports about the Dallas Cowboys are going to try to pick him up and these other teams are interested. If they know what's good for him, I wouldn't touch Johnny Manziel with a 10-foot pole. I was skeptical when he came into the NFL with all the hype that came around him, and I'm still skeptical now, and I'm going to be even more skeptical and probably confirmed when he's not in the NFL anymore. And he's not in, and he's pro you know what he's going to turn into? I'm sorry, Johnny, if I ever meet you, I'm totally down to have a drink and hang out. I love that stuff, man. But you're going to turn into a Ryan Leaf, okay? In three to five years, there's going to be a report about you on ESPN about how you get busted trying to buy illegal narcotics through the mail. Or you get busted trying to do like a Ponzi scheme with somebody in Florida or something like that. That's going to be the only thing that's going to pop up about you on ESPN in like five or eight years. And it's going to be like, well, you remember he played uh, X amount of games with the Cleveland Browns. And here was his record. And here are his statistics. Not looking good for Johnny Manziel these days. Yeah, it ain't looking good for Ryan Leaf either. Oh, God, Johnny Manziel. So... That's the scoop with him. That's the drama that's been circulating around him. Uh, you know, to stay with uh, football just a little bit more, we've got the Super Bowl coming up. As everyone knows, you're seeing plenty of highlights, seeing plenty of information on it. Uh, I want to go back to my favorite team because I love talking about my favorite team. And they actually are making some of the biggest waves right now. My Philadelphia Eagles uh, with more contract signings. A um, couple of notable things to know about the Eagles at this point in time. With the departure of Chip Kelly, um, there has been some changes to their defense. Um, over the last couple of seasons, specifically last year, uh, the, the Eagles functioned in a 3-4 defense. For those of you who don't know, that means you've got three defensive tackles up front and you've got four middle line. You've got two uh, linebackers and two defensive ends behind them. Three guys up front, four behind them, hence 3-4 defense. Um, so this was the defense they were using. Now they have a guy named Vinnie Curry, who has been a very good Eagles defender, but he's he's a fast pass rushing defensive end. Okay, that's very similar to what Jared Allen does for the Carolina Panthers. Okay, now fast pass rushing defensive ends typically thrive 
and function in 4-3 defenses. So he was on the Eagles when they were playing a defense that is not necessarily geared towards his specific strengths. So he was not a starter. He was a spot player. He would come out in certain situations when they needed him to do what he does best. But their base defense of 3-4 was not necessarily geared towards him. So now the big point that I want to make is with Chip Kelly gone, the Eagles are switching back to a 4-3 defense, okay? They're going back to the 4-3, which is, if you really want to go into the history of football, that's the more traditional defense. The 4-3 is what people were using in the 50s and 60s, and the 3-4 is what has evolved out of it. Um, so the Eagles are going back to a, a, a more traditional 4-3. Vinnie Curry is going to thrive in that 4-3, so consequently they have given Vinnie Curry big money. They just signed him to a nice deal. Uh, I think it was a five-year deal. Actually, if I scroll through this stuff here, I'm sure I can find it. Um, here, I'm going to keep talking while I try to figure out the, the, the structure of this deal for Vinnie Curry. Uh, they did give him big money, though. Um, now, on the other hand, let's talk about another defender who, who isn't necessarily fitting into their plans very much, uh, Cedric Thornton. So now Cedric Thornton is a guy who was working awful an awful lot in the 3-4 scheme that Chip Kelly had been using. So uh, Cedric Thornton is a guy that I think the Eagles are going to let walk out the door. He's a good player, but his strengths are in a 3-4 defense. Jim Schwartz is coming in to, do, to be defensive coordinator for the Eagles. He's moving back to the 4-3, and I think they're going to let a guy like Cedric Thornton go. Now, a guy that they really need to think about, that they really have to take into consideration, is uh, Fletcher Cox. Fletcher Cox is a fantastic um, uh, defensive tackle. And Fletcher Cox is a guy who was specifically thriving in the 3-4 scheme that they were using. Now, Fletcher Cox, I think, is a guy who is fast, who is agile, who is going to be a, a terror on any defense that he's on. So I think that Fletcher Cox is a guy where you're really trying to say, all right, I think we're going to keep him no matter how this shakes out. Um, no matter who we end up giving the money to, whether we play in this defense or not, Fletcher's still going to be a benefit for us. Okay, I got the details of Vinnie Curry's contract. He's got a five-year deal, uh, $47.25 million. Uh, how much is guaranteed? $23 million in guaranteed money. So they are, they are going all in with Vinnie Curry. He is definitely someone who they feel is going to thrive in this 4-3 offense. Now, Fletcher Cox, Fletcher Cox might actually, he's probably going to get more money than Vinnie Curry because I think Fletcher Cox, whether it doesn't matter what defense they're functioning in, he was such a terror on the, on the defensive side of the ball, and he has such an ability to push that offensive line back that I don't think they care how he's going to fit in. They're going to make him fit in. Uh, so Fletcher Cox is probably getting lined up to do something like a $100 million contract pretty soon. Um, some of the other guys that you have to think about from the defensive end, though, are some of the bigger names who have already been there, like Connor Barwin. You know, is Connor Barwin someone they're going to let walk? You know, he was a guy who functioned pretty well in their 3-4, but he also has a history working in the 4-3 as well. Um, and then there's also Brandon Graham, who's kind of been there for a while. And, you know, he, Brandon Graham has been an interesting conundrum. For the early parts of his time in Philadelphia, I think he underperformed. Uh, but then he's found a way to be a good role player for the Philadelphia defense. And this past season, they gave him good money because they want him to stick around. Um, he's also another player that kind of fits into that 4-3 scheme in a more natural fashion than, than the 3-4 scheme. So that's 
you know, more of Chip Kelly just trying to put his his stamp on this team. And I, it really it really caused some conflicting decisions in a lot of regards. Um, and you're seeing it now as as soon as Kelly's out the door, they switch right back to this 4-3. And now they need to figure out what they're going to do with all of these players, some of them who are very beneficial to who they have, some of them are not. I mean, what are they going to do with Kiko Alonso? You know, I mean, are they going to bring D'Amico Ryans back? You know, I, I is, is D'Amico Ryans under contract? Yeah, I got to look. I'll look. I'll find out if D'Amico Ryans is under contract. Is he under contract for the Eagles? Um, anyway, let's stop thinking about that for a second. Um, so there are some guys who have question marks about them on the defensive end of the ball because there's a real idea of, you know, who is who is really Howie Roseman, as I said, is back in charge. So he's the one who's really going to be making these decisions with Doug Peterson. But as opposed to having a, a strong presence uh, in the executive offices like Chip Kelly was, now you've got Doug Peterson who – Listen, I don't think he's a pushover, but I think he's going to be a guy that will work in a collaborative manner with his general manager. And, you know, neither of these guys are trying to drive this team into the ground. I think in some regard, Chip Kelly was willing to make some gambles and deal with the consequences, but the Eagles don't want to do that. Howie Roseman doesn't want to sign a bad contract. He doesn't want to have guys who don't like being there. And Doug, and Doug Peterson wants to have talent on both sides of the ball. And that's what they're doing right now. So I don't I don't feel bad about these uh, about these contract decisions. I actually think it's a good move for the Eagles to go back to a 4-3. I think that keeping guys that they've drafted that they know in that locker room and kind of nurturing the, you know, the camaraderie in the locker room is probably what's important right now because this team was 7 and 9. They weren't terrible. They weren't 4 and 12. They weren't 2 and 14. They're not the Titans. They're not spiraling out of control. I mean, they've got a lot of things on point, and I think it's not going to be too difficult or, um, or too unreasonable to think that they can get right back into the mix of things next year and have a winning record and maybe be, at, be back in the playoffs. So I don't feel too uncomfortable about some of these uh, contract moves. And the other thing that's great about this is that with these contract moves, you get the contracts done, and you get them done early, and you're not having other agents compare the, uh, their des- contract desires to someone else's contracts. Instead of someone coming out and saying, well, you know, Vinnie Curry wants more money because someone else in his position for another team got more money, they don't have that anymore. The Eagles signed the contracts first, so now other people are going to be comparing their contracts to the Eagles. And the Eagles are going to be like, listen, we, we got what we wanted. What do you want me to tell you? Um, we're happy about what we got. Um, the last thing I'll say about contracts uh, for the Eagles, which, uh, you know, I, I know I, I can harp on the Eagles an awful lot, but let's talk about the quarterback situation. That is truly going to be something that I think is going to raise a lot of eyebrows and, and cause a lot of question marks. Do you bring back Sam Bradford? And if you bring him back, how much money do you give him? You know, is it, it or do you let him walk? Now we need to start talking about, do we let Sam Bradford walk? Is it a good idea to give the keys to Mark Sanchez? Is Mark Sanchez someone you feel confident about being the starting quarterback of your team? And is Doug Peterson going to want to go into that situation uh, with just um, Mark Sanchez? Or the the other discussions, they're talking a lot about bringing in, uh, drafting a quarterback out of the draft, you know, and... Many teams have done that where, listen, they've got to draft a quarterback and then they've got to ride him out for several years hoping that, 
he turns out to be the next franchise quarterback. And if he doesn't, you just say, listen, we tried for three years and it sucks that we had three losing seasons, but that's the reality of it. And we got to go back to the drawing board. I mean, Marcus Mariota could be a fantastic quarterback. Jameis Winston, these guys could be Hall of Fame quarterbacks, but their first seasons in their respective cities were a little difficult. Peyton Manning's first season was a little difficult in Indianapolis. And you might be seeing the same thing with Doug Peterson if he brings a, a quarterback out of the draft. So then you start to say to yourself, well, do we just, do we just give um, uh, Sam Bradford a qualifying contract? You know, is that what we kind of have him hook on to and, and we just say, all right, listen, you know, and will Sam Bradford take a single year deal? You know, is he going to want to be there for just one year? Uh, or is Sam Bradford, I think, probably going to be looking for some more insurance and be looking for a team that's going to want to give him a two or three year deal? And is he going to actually, you know, want to be a backup? I think he's probably going to want to go be a starter for a team. And the Eagles are a team that can offer that to him. It's the painful thing is the other options for the Eagles out there for starters is it's dicey. I mean, you've got what? You've got Robert Griffin the third. You've got um, Johnny Manziel. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not making things up here. There's not many guys out there you can just be like, well, this guy's available. I mean, who else is really out there? It's uh, Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick may be available, but. Aside from that, it is slim pickings, and it sounds a little unfortunate, but the, the best course of action for the Eagles might simply be to re-sign Sam Bradford. If, if, if not for, you know, two years, maybe, maybe he'll go for a single year. Um, maybe he'll go for like a three-year team-friendly deal where they can cut him after one season. Um, it might just make sense to hang on to him, at least for one more year. He's not bad, and... He's probably better than Mark Sanchez. I mean, I think we can all say he's better than Mark Sanchez. He certainly, this season, was not nearly as turnover happy as Mark Sanchez. Um, but uh, that's really the scoop with him. The other scoop is, is DeMarco Murray. Uh, they gave him a lot of money, and um, there was clearly some issues with, I think he feels a little left out in the cold because I think he came there primarily to play with Chip Kelly, and now Chip Kelly and the whole entire team is gone. I mean, everything was blown up which really leaves Sam Bradford and DeMarco Murray, two key guys that Kelly brought in, you know, kind of looking around, scratching their heads, wondering what the next step is. Um, I think the Eagles should keep Murray. I still think he's a dynamite back. And I think that they can get, they can get usage out of him. I think Chip Kelly had an understanding for how to run him into the ground. But listen, the Eagles offensive line might not be as good as the Dallas Cowboys, but still pretty damn good. And I think that DeMarco Murray can probably still be productive with the Eagles and Right now, it might just be wise to stand pat. Ride out this season, see what Doug Peterson brings, see what he can produce out of this team, and, and just go from there. Just go from there. Say, hey, listen, you know, maybe we're 8-8, eight and eight, maybe we're 7-9 and nine again. At least we're kind of shifting away from that Chip Kelly decision, which it was tough to swallow, but it happened, and, and that's where they were. Um, drama, 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 drama. Football and drama. Like I said, I'm trying to fill up the gaps until Super Bowl shows up. We're only two days away, and I'm excited for the Super Bowl, but there's only so much to talk about about football in the meantime. Let's go back to basketball. So we had fun talking about Ginobili's balls, or at least I had fun talking about Ginobili's balls. Let's discuss a little bit more about uh, what we should expect with basketball coming up. Um, the Golden State Warriors are still beating the hell out of everybody that we can think of. Um, the Pistons uh, beat up on the, the Knicks last night at Madison Square Garden. It was actually a it was a 20-point game, then it was a two-point game, then it was a 20-point game, then it was a two-point game. But the Pistons pulled out the win. Um, 
I don't know, kind of makes me feel like Melo's a little overrated at this point, even though he's a starter on the all-star team. I, I don't, I don't fully know what the next step for that Knicks team is. It's, it's clearly Porzingis. I mean, Porzingis is the future of that team, but I mean, how soon do you, do you kind of move on from Melo? If you ask me, I, I'm not sure if, if Melo really is going to, you know, I, I don't know, maybe one or two additional seasons on the team. Um, and then the rest is just getting excited for All-Star Weekend. There's a, there's a real sense of, I think, Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson are both going to be in the three-point shooting contest. That should be fantastic. Um, I mean, two of the best shooters in the game in the three-point contest because there's certain elements of the All-Star Weekend, I think, have lost some of their popularity over the handful of years. You know, the slam dunk contest lost some juice. Uh, the three-point contest, you know, all of the lead-up and the skills stuff, all of those competitions that they have in All-Star Weekend leading up to the All-Star Game have lost a little flavor. And I think they're trying to get these superstars back into these competitions, kind of get the flavor back up and running, get the fans excited about All-Star Weekend. Because unlike in the NFL, the NBA All-Star Game is, a, is an event. It's a thing. I, and I don't know if any of the other four major sports, and I'm talking about football, hockey, baseball and basketball. I don't know if any of these other sports do the all-star game as well as the NBA does. The NBA does the all-star game so well. It's a whole weekend. The entire league shuts down. It's in the middle of the season. They do it on a, they do it on a Saturday or a Sunday. They do it in a city that they know their players and their coaches and their executives and their fans are going to want to come to. Um, I think they're the only team I know of or the only league I know of that actually had an all-star weekend in Las Vegas one year. You know why? Because they know that they're, People want to go gamble and have fun in Vegas. So, very exciting for All-Star Weekend, you know, whereas you got, why the hell is the baseball All-Star game always on a Tuesday? Nobody wants to watch that shit on a Tuesday. And the Pro Bowl, we already discussed the Pro Bowl. It's the guy keeping the seat warm for the Super Bowl. You know, nobody wants to watch the Pro Bowl. It's after the season's over. Even the players don't take it seriously. So, in the NBA, quite some hubbub and some excitement coming up uh, around their All-Star game. And uh, it should be fun. It should be good. Um, aside from that, there's there's also drama in the NBA. The NBA's got a fair amount of drama. If I think football's got drama, the NBA's got quite a bit as well. I mean, I, I don't even want to go into the headlines. I can I can go about this. I could go about that. But um, it's it's definitely uh, an exciting time of year. I'm I'm interested to see what the post All Star break is going to is going to hold for us because I always think there's a little bit. It's like the season for, you know, and all of these uh, teams, all these leagues kind of have first half of the season, second half of the season. And I think in the NBA, post-All-Star break, it really shapes that second half of the season. You'll have a team that'll get very hot and will have, you know, the best record since the All-Star break or the, pl- the best plus-minus since the All-Star break or, you know, things like that. And um, I think that uh, you're going to see one of these Western Conference teams and one of these Eastern Conference teams really start to put some distance between themselves and the middle of the pack. Because I think in both conferences, you've got one or two heavy hitters, and then you've got middle of the pack. So in the Western Conference, you've got the Warriors, the Spurs, and the Thunder, and then everyone's kind of in the middle. And the same thing with the Eastern Conference as well. I mean, really, you have the Cavaliers and then everyone else. I mean, I'm, I'm going to look at the standings right now and just make sure I'm not crazy here. Yeah, you've got the Cavaliers... And really, the Raptors. The Raptors are um, the only other team that's about as close to uh, to them in wins. Uh, but that's really it. Everyone else is kind of stuffed in the mix. And let's be honest here: the Cavaliers and the Raptors. 
uh, the Cavaliers will win, will beat them in a five-game series. So you're only really talking about Cleveland in the Eastern Conference. And in the Western Conference, you got Golden State, San Antonio, Oklahoma City. And everyone else is trying to claw. And they're trying to get into the mix. The Clippers are trying to get into the mix. I don't really know if I can hold a candle for anyone else. But I think in the second half of the season, if the Clippers are going to pull out and have a great second half of the season, now's the time. I don't see it happening. I, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see um, – I think you'll see the Atlanta Hawks or the Chicago Bulls or maybe the Heat. Actually, I don't want to say that. I want to say the Heat, the Pacers, or the Bulls. One of those teams, I think, will set themselves apart in the Eastern Conference. And in the Western Conference, I think you'll see the Thunder. I think the Thunder, is, are they're going to catch up with the Spurs. And they will, now like I said, I mean... I don't know if I see any of these middle-of-the-pack teams like the Clippers, the Grizzlies, and the Mavericks. I don't see any of them really setting themselves apart in some bold way. Uh, I really probably see the Thunder sneaking up on people just because they're sort of under the radar. You know, you got the Spurs, you got the Warriors. No one's really talking about the Thunder, and uh, I, think that, uh, I think that that's a mistake because um, Kevin Durant, he's, he's a beast. And when you put Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, two of the best players on the team, together— I mean, crazy things happen. Just ask the Golden State Warriors. Um, anyway, listen, I've talked a while. I think I said a lot. I'm going to call quits for the moment. Had to spew on the mic just a little bit. A lot of craziness going on in NFL and NBA. Um, as always, subscribe to me on iTunes. Subscribe to me on Stitcher. Subscribe to me on SoundCloud. Email me at samsportsstation at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at smithfacejones. I would love to hear your feedback. would love to hear your thoughts. Um, I love chatting about this stuff. Hopefully you guys like listening. Um, we'll be back soon. We'll be talking some more Super Bowl. Can't, I mean, can't. Super Bowl's coming. Got to give it its due. Um, anyway, we'll talk soon. Love you guys. Bye-bye.